I love this church. I know I'm biased, but I do. I love this place. And you know what? Here's the deal. Like, I think you need it more than you think you need it. I was just say it. Not me. You need this more than you think you need it. Like, you need this more than you think you need it. You need church friends. You need people who are walking in the same direction towards Jesus because it's hard out there. Anybody know that it's hard out there? So today, here's what I want you to raise your hand again for. Raise your hand if you've ever had a crisis. Most people, right? If you haven't, man, get ready. Right? Cause it's, can we just agree if you haven't had a crisis yet, hang on. Right? It could be health crisis, financial crisis, work crisis, uh, my husband crisis, my wife crisis, like kid crisis. Like there's crises of all kinds. And um, there's also a crisis that we don't often uh, understand or expect, and it's a spiritual crisis. It's a spiritual crisis. And here's some good news. If you're a follower of Jesus, I promise you, guarantee you for certain, for sure, 100% that at some point you're going to experience a spiritual crisis. It's good news. This doesn't sound like good news, though, right? Here's what's good news, because spiritual crisis looks different than all the other crises. Because at the end of a spiritual crisis, your faith in God is bigger. At the end of a spiritual crisis, your trust in what God can do for you is bigger than it once was. And oftentimes, the only way that God can get our minds and our hearts bigger on who he is is to take us through a valley to bring us back up to the mountaintop. And so a crisis, we call this a crisis of belief. Now, I want to break down a crisis of belief to you uh, in three ways, all right? So here's the first thing about a crisis of belief. You will know it's a crisis of belief when God invites you. Are you ready? Here we go. He invites you into something that you don't want to do. You can write this down if you want. Today's message, by the way, can I just kind of build this up? If you will listen and apply it, it will change your life. I'm just like, you, you came on the best day. I think today's message and what I'm about to share with you is the thing that keeps most followers of Jesus stuck in the rut of religion. And if you'll listen and you'll obey and lean into what God's saying to you, I really think that you'll be like, oh my gosh, look at what God's doing. So here's, here's how it happens. A crisis of belief is when God asks you, invites you into something that you don't want to do, you don't know how to do, or currently don't have enough money to do. It typically has one of those three elements. Right? God asks you, he invites you into doing something that you don't want to do. I want to do that. Something that you don't know how to do. I can't do that. Or something that you currently can't afford, and you say, man, there's no way I can pay for that. And so, therefore, you're faced with number two. What you do next says a lot about what you believe about God. So when God invites you, again, not when Pastor Matt invites you, not when your mom or your mother-in-law invites you into that. No, 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 I'm talking about when God, through our relationship with him, because if you're, if you're walking with the Lord, you will have these, I promise you. When the Lord invites you into a crisis of belief, what you do next is what you believe about God. I know you say one thing, but what you do next when you're in a crisis of belief reveals to anyone who knows what's going on what you really believe about God, which leads us to the third thing. The third thing is this. Action is always required. Always required. And action always looks a lot like obedience. There is not a crisis of belief in the scriptures, because by the way, if you don't know this, your Bible is full from cover to cover of stories of crisis of belief, where God invites men and women to join him in something that he's doing that is beyond their ability. From page one to the last page, it's what it's full of, these crisis of belief moments. 
But there is not a story in the Bible where what happens next is intellectual. It's not about thinking, it's not philosophical, it's not, well, what if, no, it's, it's like there's like, you can feel it, you can see it, you can touch it. Like when God invites you into something and, and, and you say yes to that, people will around you will see it happen. You will see it happen. It always requires action and it always looks a lot like obedience. Now, there are two types of this. Okay, now I'm building, so keep building. I'm laying foundation. Are you ready? There's two types of crisis of belief. Type one is a common crisis. A common crisis is one, or are those types of crises that everybody who follows Jesus experiences. And here's why you experience them. Because as a follower of Jesus, this becomes your rule book. This becomes your guide. If you want to follow Jesus and ignore God's word, good luck. Good luck. David said that his, God's word becomes the lamp unto my feet and the light unto my path. And when you begin to spend time with the Lord through his word, it begins to reveal things about your heart and about your thinking that might be contrary to God's heart and God's thinking. Like if you, don't, if you, don't, if you read the Bible and it doesn't convict you of sin in any way, man, I don't understand that. I've been walking with Jesus for over 20 years, and every time I read the Bible, God speaks to me on ways that he has invited me to be more obedient more in, to the relationship. Because it reveals, it reveals who I am in light of God's word. And so when we begin to read God's word, there's common crises that we face. There's a bunch. Can I just give you four? Four of the most common. Here we go. Number one is God will invite you into forgiveness. I mean, if you've been a believer for longer than six months, you know this. The Lord's Prayer. When the disciples said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he said, okay, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who what? What? You mean in the Lord's prayer, when he doesn't give a parable, he doesn't give a lot of examples, he literally answers the guy's questions. Hey, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Yeah, pray like this. And he ends the thing with, I got to forgive people? Come on. I don't want to do that. I don't know how to do that. And God says, I know. But we'll stay right here in this relationship until you get it done. Did you know that there's going to be no grudges in the kingdom of heaven? Did you know that once you get to the kingdom of heaven, you're not going to be able to walk down the other side street, sidewalk when you see somebody coming? This life is practice. And when you choose not to forgive, it's because you're revealing what you believe about God. How about this one? Another one. It's not about you asking, not about you getting forgiveness. It's about you asking for forgiveness. Okay, let's be honest and vulnerable for a second. Anybody ever hurt somebody before with your words or your actions? Oh, there's a bunch of people. We're going to lying next week. Everybody in this room has hurt somebody with your words or deeds. Everybody. And sometimes when you're following Jesus, he brings those people to your mind, and he says, you've got to make it right. I don't want to make it right. Well, I know if you wanted to, you'd have already done it. But if you're going to follow me, you've got to go make it right. Because there's no anger, frustration in the kingdom of heaven. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep a short list. My followers keep a short list of accounts when it comes to offenses. And what you do next reveals your relationship with God. What you believe about that crisis of belief. It's a common one. How about this one? I'll give you, I said four. Let me give you a third one. Releasing anger and bitterness. How many grouchy people do you think you will meet in the kingdom of God? Zero is the correct number, right? Like, and so like if you're grouchy and you're bitter, and every time you think about me, something negative comes to your mind, or you think about them, something negative comes to your mind, man, Go home and watch Disney's Frozen. 
And fast forward about two-thirds of the, and watch, listen to her sing the song. Let it go. You know this, right? Let it go. Why in the world are you hanging on? Listen, this is why you got to let it go. Raise your hand again if you've ever hurt somebody. You've done the same thing. People are people, and they do stupid stuff. And sometimes we are the recipients of their stupid stuff. And it has wrecked your life long enough. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Why are you? Listen, they still may be stupid. They probably will be. But you know what? No, no, no. I forgive you. You haven't even asked. But I forgive you. I choose to see halo instead of horns. Right? I see the little halo emoji, not the little devil emoji. Let it go. Why are you letting somebody's foolishness make you feel bitter and angry? Oh, my goodness. You're free. Somebody can go home, go get lunch right now. You're good. That's what you needed to hear. Let it go. In the kingdom of God, it's a crisis of belief. Will you love them enough to let it go? Jesus says, love your enemies, even those who, dang it, persecute you. Oh, come on, Lord. I wish he would have made a list. If they do these four things, you don't have to forgive them. But he didn't, did he? How about this one? You're going to love this one. We've already given, so I can talk about this one. You will face a crisis of beliefs when it comes to God and your money. I'm telling you, 100% of the people, when you're following Jesus, struggle with the fact that you don't find any stingy disciples of Jesus. Man, we are a generous lot. And we give and we give and we give because that's what a follower of Jesus does. Man, I'm telling you, God will confront you. I'm not, I don't know when, but at some point he will look at you and say, why have you given me everything but your wallet? Why? And if you're young in the room and you're just starting out in your career, can I encourage you to get this figured out now instead of you're like some of us who are trying to figure it out now and we've already got our little kingdoms built? Figure it out now, young folk. Type two, personal crisis. These are the crisis of belief that as you build a relationship with Jesus, he just whispers to your life. And he invites Amber into something that's just unique for Amber. And when Amber is, here's the invitation, she goes, I don't want to do that. God, I can't do that. God, I can't afford that. And God says, I know, Amber, but it's me going to do it through you. I'm just going to let you join me in it. Or he invites you. And it, but listen, it's not Pastor Matt's. Like, I'm not, no, it's the Lord whispers something directly to you. Like, I, here, here are the things that I was reflected on in my own life. That since I followed Jesus, yeah, I got those common things. But there was a time at a summer camp where I knew that God called me to be a pastor. That was kind of a fun one. He does, I don't think he does that for everybody. But for me, he called me into this specific role. When he called me to move to Florida from Arkansas, now that was pretty easy, right? Moving from northeast Arkansas to south Florida, I mean, it's just, you know, it's the beach. It's kind of fun. All right, God, I guess I'll suffer for Jesus, you know. But the truth is, is I left all my family. I didn't know anybody really there. And I, my, I, I moved there making $7,500 a year. Drove down in a short bed pickup truck. I remember leaving my dad at the airport. He was flying back to Arkansas. And my dad was crying, saying goodbye to his boy. That was, that was kind of scary, right? Here I go. Uh, when, when God called me to leave Florida to come here to plant this church, me and my wife, Jen. Like, that, that, guys, that was scary. One-year-old twin girls knew no one except Pastor Dan and Mary. Didn't know any of you guys. And I had to face this. Like, God didn't say to Flamingo Road, I want everybody to move to Kansas City to plant a church. It wasn't a common, it wasn't a common crisis. Is what God said to me. 
And what I did next revealed what I believed about him. And then when God invites me to continue to plant churches, guys, it's scary. Can I tell you a secret about your pastor? Let you into my life? I'm in a crisis of belief right now. Like the whispers in my head is like, you don't have the leadership to do this. You don't have the resources to do this. Now, I have the want to. I want to. But all the other stuff, the whispers, these people are going to let you down. These people are going to turn on you. You've led them poorly, Moses. I mean, that's the whispers. You see what I do? I go back to my elders. I listen to my staff. I listen to my wife. I listen to my mentors. I go back to God's word. I look at my journal, and I see all the things that God has done to say, I will do it again. You can trust me. I will do this again. Like, man, I've got this. And yeah, I've got the whispers and I've got the doubt and it's a crisis of belief, right? Because God invites me to something that's a crisis of belief and what I do next depends on what I believe about God. It's the same thing with you. It's real and it's personal. Now, so I've laid the foundation, two types, right? Common crisis and personal crisis. That God is inviting all of us into certain things and then there's certain specific things that he invites you into. Now, here's the thing that most Christians miss that keep us religious and we never, never move on the crisis of belief. I believe that most people want to, but very few do for this very, this very reason. I'm gonna put it in the form of a question. Are you ready? Have you ever thought about what you would have to do before you were able to be obedient? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what, like if whatever it is that God's inviting you into, I know you want to do it or maybe you don't want to do it or you're afraid to do it, but there's still that, oh man, I get to do that. I mean, there's that little bit of God saying, like, you know what's the Lord and you have a crisis of belief. But have you ever thought about what you would have to change or do different so that you could be obedient? Here's the big idea for today. The big idea for this message is this. Adjustments are not the obedience. Adjustments are how you arrange your life so that you can be obedient. Most Christians, most followers of Jesus struggle with making adjustments so that you can do the next best thing. Where many of us are in experiencing God right now, and there is a quote. Uh, so this coming up, we're going to talk about making adjustments in our life. If you're doing that work, book with us right now. And this is the quote that, that we're going to look at this week. The author writes this, You cannot continue life as usual or stay where you are and go with God at the same time. But that's what we want. We want to say yes to the, the crisis of belief. We want to do what God's asked us to do, and we don't want to change anything. We don't want to change our spending. We don't want to change our calendar. We don't want to change our study time. We want to keep business as usual, but also follow God. And unfortunately, guys, a crisis of belief, before you can step into it, you have to make a major adjustment. Always, always, always. Yeah, and I'm going to kind of tell you how I've done this, all right? Matt, how has how this played out in your life? I think it's important that you can kind of see how this would play out. I'm going to start from when I was younger up to currently, okay? When I was young dude, junior and senior in high school, I had three great buddies. And as we got older, into that junior year, senior year, they started doing things that if I was going to do them, I was going to get in trouble, potentially arrested, and I knew my dad was on my case already. And I didn't know how to tell them that I didn't want to hang out with them. I didn't know how to tell them that I couldn't do those things because I didn't want to get made fun of. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to lose my buddies. Like I, would, if you, I mean, I would lie for my friends. I, would fight, I mean, we were, we were close. And yet they were starting to do things that I knew I couldn't do for a variety of reasons. But I didn't know how to tell them no. So you know what I did? I was working at Taco Bell at the time. And so I asked my manager if I could start closing on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights. Hey, guys, sorry I can't go out tonight. They scheduled me to work, dang it. Man, I... Oh, I'm going to miss it. I, man, I want to be there, but guys, I got to close. 
Taco Bell kept me out of jail. <laughs> I made a run for the border. I did. But I'm t- I had to make an adjustment, right? Because sometimes we're not courageous enough to look at our friends and say, because they're my buddies. But I knew if I went with them that my dad was going to beat me, and I was probably going to get arrested and then get beat again. No, man, I made adjustments to my life. But well, here's what happens. Got to get ready for this, right? So I start working, closing Taco Bell, and so God protects me. And I'm, so I'm going a different direction. Yay, man, good job. And then I meet a girl. Whole nother set of problems. They were fun problems. But you know what? It came in that season of my life where that's where I started my relationship with Jesus. And that silly experience in God book got me. And me and this girl are dating, and things are going great. And that was the first time the Lord ever invited me into a crisis of belief. And this first time the Lord ever spoke to me, young dude, he said this, you can follow her or you can follow me, but you can't follow both. And I liked her a lot. She's a friend. And God said, she's great. And God said, you can follow her or you can follow me, but you can't do both. And so you know what? I entered that heartbroken, wham, wham, baby stage. Don't have my friends anymore. Got Taco Bell. But now I don't even have my girlfriend. Oh, man, I'm telling you, for three years of my life, two and a half years of my life, I was lonely, sitting at home with my parents in the evenings. Man, what a loser I was. But I wasn't getting high, and I wasn't making out. That was kind of a bummer at the time. But I wasn't making out. But you know what? I was saying yes to Jesus. And he was becoming the boss and the leader of my life. And the Lord began to open up doors for me. He surrounded my life with people. I remember, skip ahead now where I've met. Oh, by the way, I would have never met my Jen if I would have not changed. Oh, man, I'm so grateful for my, my wife. Like, she's fantastic. Like, if you're like, man, what's your pastor's life? Like, me and Jen are awesome. Like, my wife is like, I love her. Like, you need to know that. Like, your pastor is like in love with his wife. Like, I slap her on the butt every chance I get. Like, she's mine, right? And I mean, and, and like, we have done this together since day one. I don't go to church and she stay home. Like our family, my kids, this is a part of what we do. And I protect that. I protect that. But what happened in our family was our kids got older, and we didn't know that the game had changed. And so all of a sudden, me and Jen started like, oh, that's a bad, because we weren't fighting. So it was more like this, right back and forth, right? And we're just going at each other because I'm frustrated. I don't know why. She's frustrated. What we realized is all of our kids had kind of moved out of baby preschool stage into school age, and the game had changed, and we didn't know it. And we were still trying to operate like we had little infants, and we didn't have little infants anymore. And so I finally said, what do you need? And she's like, I need you at home in the afternoons. At about 5 o'clock, it's homework, dinner, bath time, and bed. And when you're out playing Pastor Matt, I'm home being single mom, and then you come home all smoochy, smoochy, lovey-dovey. No, I'm tired. I said, so what I'm hearing you say is if I'm at home at between 5 and 7, that I would be a big help to you. She said, I think that's what I'm saying. And so if you were to look at my calendar, between 5 and 7 o'clock, it says family. So if you call and say, hey, Matt, can we meet at 6 o'clock for coffee? My answer is no. What time does experiencing God start on, seven, on Wednesday nights? What time does that start? 7 o'clock. After 7 o'clock, I'm a free man. I can do whatever I want. Right? There are, Jen doesn't say I don't want you to do ministry. She's like, I need you to be dad. I need you to be my partner from this time space because it's really hard when you're not here. So I had to make an adjustment to my life. Because my family comes first. You guys can find another lead pastor. Maybe not as good, but you can find another one. 
I don't want Jen to find another hubby because I know this. I can't do any better. And so I got to protect that, right? How about this last one? I'll give you two more. Not working on Friday evenings through Saturday. Do you know the ministry? Like if this is me and Jen when we argue, the ministry monster is like this. And the ministry monster will eat you alive. It never gets full. Like I'll probably work till 930 tonight doing stuff. And do you know that there'll be emails in my email box Monday morning wanting me to do some more stuff? I never get done. Do you ever get done? Like life never gets full. Like your, your work, your boss always wants more. There's always another group of kids coming in. There's always more. And if you don't draw firm boundaries around your life, you will always feel the need to serve, to give, to bless, and all the time. And it will eat everything you give it and always want more. And so I learned, you know what? I'm, growing, I'm drawing heart, firm boundaries. And so if you've ever been offended on Friday evening or Saturday that I haven't responded to your text or your email or your phone call, let me just be honest with you. It's been totally on purpose. Because you know what? Sometimes I got to go to the sideline and I got to get a cup of Gatorade and breathe. Sometimes I just got to take a break. Sometimes I got to get off the field and I just need to go sit down and, okay, why am I doing this? And get my why back together. And I do that every week. Finances. Jen and I work our budget after the tithe. This is an adjustment in your finances. Like, here's how I wrote it. We tithe first, not last. Or you could say, in our family, God gets first, not what's left. And you have to make an adjustment in your life on those things. Like, if you want to be obedient with your generosity, you're going to have to make adjustments. And in all of your life, whatever you choose to do next will be adjustments. So, I want to share with you a fun story. You ready? It's about a wee little man named Zacchaeus. You ever heard about Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Here we go. Jesus entered Jericho, this is found in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short. He was a wee man to see over the crowd. So look what he did. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now when Jesus came by, he looked up in Zacchaeus. He looked up at Zacchaeus, and Jesus called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down out of that tree. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord if I have cheated people on their taxes. I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. I'm going to make some quick observations about this story and about the adjustments that Zacchaeus made. Are you ready? Because this is a great one for you to study this week. Here we go. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Zacchaeus had a lot of money, but he wanted to see the Lord. There was something missing in his life. And he wanted to see the Lord so bad that he put in extra effort. Number two, he put in extra effort. He ran ahead and he climbed a tree. Right? Are you with me in the story? He ran ahead and he climbed a tree. And Zacchaeus was seen by Jesus. Zacchaeus doesn't go, hey, Jesus, I'm over here. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus in the tree and he goes, Zacchaeus. Jesus knew his name. Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was. And then Jesus does something kind of weird. He invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Hey, come out of here, buddy. I'm going to your home. He got ball and toad. Hey, you're going to fix me dinner. I'm going to come and hang with you. You know what Zacchaeus said? Oh, no, my house is a mess, Lord. Oh, Lord, could we go to somewhere else instead? No, he said yes, and he got down, and he said yes to Jesus. Number seven, people grumbled that Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house instead of their house. 
Number eight, while the people were grumbling, Zacchaeus was adjusting his life. And he was making all kinds of adjustments so that he could do the next best thing. And Zacchaeus adjusted his finances and made things right. Here's my ask to you this morning. Okay, that's how we're going to end. I want you to want to see Jesus. Like, that's where it starts. Man, I can't make this for you, but my prayer for you as a part of New City Church is that you want to see Jesus. Like, you got to want it. Like, oh, I hope I run into him at Walmart. No, that you want to see the Lord and that you're willing to. Here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to climb a tree. Not literally. Like, you thought of a tree this week. Don't say, well, my pastor told me. No, I'm, I'm asking you, what effort can you put? Because you want to see Jesus so bad and you can't see him from where you currently are, that you will do whatever it, you will, I want you to climb a tree. And here's what you'll notice while you're in the tree, is that the Lord will call your name. Here's what I want you to know this morning. Jesus knows your name. You are no stranger to the Lord. Maybe you and I haven't met, but Jesus knows your name. And you go, well, I don't believe that. Get up in the tree and tell me that I'm a liar. Sticking around in the alley, hiding, and going, well, God never calls me. Get up in the tree. Say, I want to see you, Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Get up in the tree and say, Lord, oh, I hope I I can see him. I hope I can see him. And what you will find is he will go, I see you. And he will call you by name. And now are you ready for what happens next? When he calls you by name, he won't say, see you later. Good job up in that tree. He will say quickly, get out of that tree you and I have somewhere to go. He will invite you into something that will look a lot like a crisis of belief. And when he says, get out of that tree, you'll have to say, I don't want to, I can't, I can't afford it, or yes. And I want to encourage you to do what Zacchaeus did. Whatever he invites you into, you lean in with a yes. It's going to scare the snot out of you, I promise you. You're going to be shaken in your spiritual shoes. But you lean in with a yes. See, Want to see the Lord? Climb a tree. He will call your name, and you say yes. You show me a church that does those four things, hell don't stand a chance. And your life will be forever different. Amen? If you came with somebody this morning that you know pretty well, I want you to grab their hand. We're going to pray out. If you're here and you don't know somebody, I want to pray for you. You're not alone. But if you don't know somebody, it could be weird if you touched them, so don't do that. Now, if you're comfortable with that, grab a hand. That's fine. Now, while I pray for you, I want you to pray for the person you're holding hands with. You ready? Father God, I first I want to pray for the husbands and wives, those who are dating, who are holding hands this morning. Restore whatever is broken in that relationship. It might be the first time in a long time they've held hands. Restore what is broken. For the husbands to whisper that I love you. For the wives to whisper I love you. For the one who is here, for the ones who are here this morning, and they wish they were sitting beside someone. Father, you know their name. And you know the desires of their hearts. Encourage them right now. The enemy wants to whisper guilt and defeat. And oh, you'll be happy when, 
But oh, if you're sitting here by yourself this morning and you feel like you don't have a church friend or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or any friends, can I tell you something? That the Holy Spirit does not whisper in your ear defeat or discouragement. That is the lie from the enemy. So if you're feeling that right now, it's real simple. Just whisper, Satan's a liar. And receive the word of God that he knows your name. He loves you. Father, for this church, bless us indeed. We follow you. We trust you. Prepare us for what's next. It's in Jesus' name that we give this prayer. Amen. Hey, go climb a tree. See you next Sunday, same time, same place.